Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is Divine Polaroids by Pastor Sean Wood. Father, I thank you for your word is living and active. I thank you, Lord God, because it's your word that spoke the universe into existence. Lord, I believe in the power of your word. I pray, Lord, that that power would reach every person right now. By your grace, And by your Holy Spirit, I ask in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. If you're tracking with me this morning, please uh, turn to Genesis chapter 45. uh, This morning, we're going to conclude our series on Joseph. Through all that's been happening, I'm convinced that the message that comes to us from the life of Joseph is a message for the here and now, for everything that's happened. But it's also a message to stay us into the future. I, I've got some good news for everybody. Uh, we have some adverse circumstances on our doorstep at the moment. But I want you to know that when those circumstances have gone, there are seasons in our life of adversity. There are seasons sometimes in our lives of affliction. And I believe looking at the life of Joseph in particular allows us to navigate some Sometimes some very uncertain waters. And I'm sure we all find ourselves in, in somewhat uncertain waters at the moment. So this morning, we're going to conclude our series on Joseph and bring this to an end. We're going we're gonna to ask some furphy questions. I, I wonder how many people are asking the cause question. You know, who caused this? We're beginning to see this surface on the news now. We're going to answer that question We're gonna, uh, the way Jesus did. And, I, and I'll cover that. That's right at the end when we get to... Genesis chapter 50. But this morning, uh, I want to talk to you about divine Polaroids. I want to, I want to, I want to highlight, we're going to look at aspects of Joseph's life uh, and how much a, the, the word perspective, how much perspective can change everything for us. Uh, if you're writing down words today, here's the one that I want you to write down today. The one word I want you to write down is perspective. I want you to circle it and underline it. It's the main point of today. That I believe that one of the greatest things that can change any situation is our perspective. Uh, uh, for those of you who, who might know me a little bit, you might know that every now and again, I like to go fishing. Uh, in Tasmania. Uh, there's a rule in Tasmania. There's two things you're not late for. It's fishing and church. <laughs> and sometimes in that order. I'm, I'm kidding, of course. But uh, uh, in trout fishing, um, and we did all of our fishing in a, in a place called the Western Lakes of Tasmania. Now, just to give you some context to this, the Western Lakes in Tasmania are actually considered to be the toughest wild brown trout fishery on the globe. Very tough to catch fish. Uh, The catch rates are low and it's very demanding on the angler to catch good, but the fishing's fantastic. The fish are an enormous size uh, and the lakes can be small and very gin clear, but but there are days when you will turn up to a lake and you'll look at the surface and nothing's going on. You see, trout like to take insects off the surface. They jump out of the water. And sometimes the feeding can be very visible and the fishing can be very visible. But you can turn up to lake some days and you look at the surface of the lake and nothing's going on. <laughs> 
And sometimes that can be the same in our lives. We, we look at everything that's going on and we think God's not doing anything. Nothing's going on. I can't see God at all. But uh, I was introduced to something in trout fishing that revolutionized my fishing. It's called polarized sunglasses. <laughs> and what a difference that makes because well, the minute I put on polarized sunglasses, uh, my vision goes beyond the immediate and I'm able to see underneath the surface. Now I turn up to lakes and I can't see visibly uh, necessarily fish feeding on the surface. But with the aid of Polaroids, I'm given a completely different perspective. I'm able to see under the water. I'm able to see fish cruising around. I'm able to see them feeding on, on stick caddis and all those sorts of things. And, and so I'm able to then know, according to what I'm able to see, uh, what they're feeding on and how to catch them. But the brilliant thing about it is it gives me a completely different perspective. When I walk up to it, there, there are lakes in the Western Lakes that you can fish. Uh, uh, one of them is called First Lagoon. I know guys that have fished First Lagoon and think there's no fish in there because they never see any fish. <laughs> it's, it's one of those lakes you've got to kind of keep the faith, but there's some big fish in there. And sometimes with the aid of Polaroids, you can go, no, there's plenty of fish here and they're feeding it's a different perspective. And sometimes when we're given divine Polaroids, we're going to see today that there are moments in Joseph's life and even in Jacob's life where when we look through divine Polaroids, we see a completely different scenario going on. <laughs> God is at work and he has been at work and all the circumstances were given a completely different perspective into that. I want to introduce you to... Uh, some of the most uh, profound words we're going to come across today. If you're, if you're tracking with me in Genesis uh, chapter 45, we want to begin there. But a little bit of context that brings us to Genesis 45. Uh, when we come to Genesis 45, the period of time has come where uh, we know the story of Joseph, right? He becomes, uh, where we left off last time, he's become the prime minister of Egypt. And this is what I love about God. When when you're able to look through divine Polaroids, when you're able to see with the perspective of God, what you're able to see is God's always working on a multifaceted level. I love this about God. You know that scripture that says God's ways are so much higher than our ways, His thoughts are so much higher than our thoughts? Man, we only get glimpses of it, even in scripture. We only get glimpses of the immense glory of God. But what we actually see here is whilst we're reading the account of Joseph's life, it's not a story, this is an account, this is a biography. Whilst we're reading the account of Joseph's life and we're seeing all the wonders that God is doing in Joseph's life, we're also able to, to understand that uh, God is doing a work in Joseph, but at the same time, he's doing a work in the heart of Pharaoh. At the same time, he's positioning Joseph so that he's in a position to, to save Egypt from starvation. But also the people, once we're giving a little bit of perspective, we're able to see the hand of God working everywhere. Same today. Nothing's changed. God's hand has not shortened. He is still sovereign. He's still powerful. He's still glorious. And God is always working on a multifaceted level. But I want to introduce you to three words today that absolutely change anything that you're going through. Genesis 45. I want to begin in verse 4. His brothers have returned. He's revealing himself to his brothers because they've They've come looking for food. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near. 
And he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me, God sent me, God sent me before you. God sent those three words revolutionize perspective. Now we see that Joseph is looking at all the circumstances of his life because perspective affects the past, perspective affects the present, and as we will see by the time we finish, perspective affects the future very gloriously for what's going on in Joseph's life. But but these three words change everything because now we can endure. Now we can look beyond the immediate and we can see the greater work of God. You know, when I read the accounts of the prophets, when I read the account of Isaiah, when I read the account of Jeremiah and even Ezekiel, I'm thinking, why would these guys even bother? I mean, let's take Isaiah. You know the reference in Hebrews 11 that says that some, the heroes of faith, some were sawn asunder. And many believe that's a direct reference to Isaiah, who was placed into a hollow tree and sawn in two by the Assyrians. But have a look at the lives of guys like Isaiah and Jeremiah. Jeremiah comes on the scene at the age of 12 or 13, prophesies the oracles of God to the king and to his people, speaks the word of God, lives for God, is obedient to God. They called Jeremiah the weeping prophet. He wept at the idolatry in the hearts of his people. And for his whole life, he declares the word of God. For his whole life, he faithfully lives for God and proclaims the word and hardly sees any change in the people's hearts. They fall into judgment. They fall into exile, just as Jeremiah predicted. And you ask yourself, man, what kept you going? These three words. Joseph knew that God had called him. Joseph knew that God had sent him. Jeremiah knew God called me to do this. And divine Polaroids mean I look past the immediate and I can see the greater work that God's doing. Yeah, okay, it's not bearing a whole lot of fruit right now. I'm going to bring this into the here and now in a minute. This doesn't seem to be bearing a whole lot of fruit right now, but I can tell you that I can see with divine Polaroids the greater work that God is doing. And God is doing a great work right now today. Uh, most of us will know of a man called Sir uh, 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 Dr. Livingston. It's the easiest way to understand. Sir Dr. Livingston, of course. Now, Dr. Livingston, most of us will know, was a missionary to Africa. But here's some things we may not know. Uh, for those that have heard that famous line, Dr. Livingston, I presume, that's actually true. Uh, a reporter goes looking for him in Africa. And the reason the reporter says Dr. Livingston, I presume, is by the time he finds Livingston in the jungles of Africa, uh, he's barely recognisable. Now, Livingston feels the call of God to take the gospel to Africa, all based on uh, I have other sheep, John chapter 10. And so he goes off to Africa and he works in the jungles. And of course, he, he experiences many sicknesses and illnesses. His wife, the same, his wife could not go back. And he, he travels back and forth uh, from, from the United Kingdom to, to uh, of, of course, into Africa and back. But, but by the time we reach the point of Dr. Livingston, I presume, uh, he, he's missing an eye because of a branch, a thorny branch that hits him in the eye as he's walking through the jungle. He's, he's kind of lopsided because he's been bitten by a lion. He's been attacked by a lion. And he spends his whole life on the mission field taking the gospel to Africa. 
Guess how many converts he won while he was in Africa? One. That's right. In all of the life of Dr. Livingston, he knew one convert. But with divine Polaroids, let's fast forward to today and have a look at how the gospel has swept right through the continent of Africa. And every single person says it was the inroads that Livingston made. It was the inroads that he made into Africa that God used him to to mow a path into Africa and the gospel took off. Same with Hudson Taylor to inland China. Hardly saw any fruit in his lifetime. Knew incredible hardship, but with divine Polaroids and these three words, God sent me, God sent me, God sent me. God just may have the church right now, right where God wants them. Now these circumstances, it changes now because we take our eyes off the immediate and we begin to ask the question, God, what are you doing? <laughs> What's the bigger picture here? We all need that perspective. Let's, let's finish off this verse and, and, and touch on something very important. For God sent me here before you to preserve life. And I want you to understand that the work of God is always missional. Sometimes we lose that. Sometimes we think that God's working in the church just to kind of puff us up. And that's not the heart of God at all. God, desire, God works in you so that it may flow out missionally, so that it may touch other people's lives. The work that Joseph, uh, that God's been doing in Joseph's life is a work that is preserving life. Praise God. And what we see is, we see God doing a tremendously deep work in Joseph, but also in Pharaoh, also in Joseph's brothers, but also on the bigger grand scale. He's saving hundreds of thousands of people from starvation. And God is preserving his people and fulfilling his word. Perspective says, divine Polaroids say, you know what? God has sent me here. I can endure because now my eyes are off the immediate of what is happening and I'm focused on what God is doing. Let me, let me show you a little bit of what perspective can look like. Uh, just take this phone here, for example. This, uh, if I pick this phone up now uh, and I'm going to ask everybody right now to describe what you see. And everybody's, everybody's going to say to me, well, you know what, I, 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 if I'm describing what I see, I can see a couple of camera lenses maybe, and I can see a, a case and the words life proof, and, and, I, and I can see, if I was describing this right now, I can see a screen that's got information on it, and I could describe information, I could describe all sorts of things, but, but you know what, both of us are actually looking at exactly the same object, but we have a different perspective. And when you have God's perspective, uh, God's divine perspective on circumstances, you're able to see completely different to everybody else. Doesn't make you any more special or anything like that, but it does mean we all deeply need divine Polaroids so that we can see the hand of God. We need God's perspective on what is happening in our lives and and we're going to touch on that towards the end of today. If you're, if you're tracking with me, I want to bring you to a, a, a very important a chapter 48, 
We're now going to come to Jacob. Now, now the context of what has happened is uh, Pharaoh's learned everything that's happened. So Pharaoh says to Joseph, you go back now, send caravans, grab your dad, grab, grab your brothers, grab all the family, all the tribe and, and bring them here and settle them in the best of the land. And, and Jacob has come back and he's praying over Joseph and he's praying over uh, Manasseh and Ephraim. He's praying blessings over them. But, but I want to hear you, uh, I want you to be able to hear, if you can, the perspective of Jacob as he looks back. You know, as he's, as he's speaking and as he's praying, have a listen to some of the perspective of Joseph, uh, Jacob. Sorry, He says uh, in verse 15, And he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked. It's, have a listen to the perspective here. Now, anybody that is looking back on the time of the patriarchs, they would say that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, they are men that walked with God. But for those who know their story, many of us might pipe up and say, but, but Jacob was a deceiver and Abraham was a moon worshipper who lied and got out in front of God and Isaac was... Yes. But the overall account of their lives was they were men that walked with God. And, and I pray, my prayer, if I have one thing that I live for, it would be that somebody or, or maybe more than one person would stand up at my funeral and say, I, I know... Sean, and he was a man that walked with God. What a testimony to have. What a testimony, what perspective for people to look back at the entirety of your life and go, there's a man that walked with God. He had his ups, he had his downs, he tripped, he fall, he made mistakes like all of us will, but he was a man that walked with God. And what does it mean to walk with God? What does it mean to, 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 to be called somebody who walks with God? I wanted to answer that question. It's kind of going to move us into the next point in a moment, but But even in the New Testament, we see that we're encouraged to not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. What does that mean? Well, well, our walk is our habitual daily routine. It's, It's our habitual daily conduct. So when it says to walk in the spirit, what Paul is urging us to do is to orientate all of our habitual daily conduct towards the spirit and to the denial of the flesh. As we move into Overcomers Month, here's a statement to grab hold of and take into May with you. Uh, so many people think that we cast out the flesh. Hold on to that thought. The flesh is not to be cast out. Paul says the flesh is to be crucified. So take that thought with you into, into May as we go into Overcomers Month. Now, Walking with God basically means a life that tears down the boundaries of the sacred and the secular. What does it mean for you to walk with God? What does it mean to be somebody who walks with God today? It means looking back on your life, walking with God looks like uh, so so often we compartmentalize our lives. We, We kind of put up a wall and say, you know, over here is my hour a day with God, you know, a half an hour, an hour a day, and then the rest is just my normal life. But that's not scriptural at all. In fact, that's, that's not a premise that's found in Scripture at all. Quite the reverse is found in Scripture. In Scripture, we find there's no walls, there's no divides, there's no boundaries. What we find in Scripture is that all of our life is one big compartment consumed by God. That's what it means to walk with God. Uh, yes, we may make mistakes. Yes, we may stumble and fall. But the direction of our lives is ever in the direction of God. We're orientated towards, what did Paul say? Everything you do, whether in word or in deed, do it in the name of the Lord. That's tearing down the, that's walking with God. 
Jacob wasn't perfect, but he was a man that walked with God. Joseph was not perfect. He had some lessons to learn, but he was a man that walked with God. Job, uh, we're going to... We're going to cover Job sometime down the track. And when we do, you're going to get some stark revelations. If you think Job is just the, just the big story about a gambling debt between, between God and the enemy, think again. Job had some lessons to learn and he learned them. His eyes were opened. Jacob goes on and has a bit of perspective about his own life now which I think is enormously important for what we're looking at today. He goes on, he says, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd, my shepherd all my life long to this day. What a testimony, what perspective. You see, Jacob, he's, Jacob, hang on a second. Jacob, you're saying the same God you wrestled with is your shepherd. Yes. In fact, the word Israel, interestingly enough, means one who wrestles with God, the people of God. And don't we wrestle with God all too often, friends? Don't we try to wrestle? You're going to lose. Jacob learned you're going to lose. Amen? Wrestling with God. And uh, so many people think that that is Jacob wrestling with God. No, no, no. God came down to wrestle with Jacob. That's how the scripture tells the story. Jacob found himself alone and God wrestled with him. But it was the same God that Jacob now stands up and says, he's been my shepherd. We find ourselves right now amidst enormously confusing and uncertain times. So many of us are clambering for direction. So many of us are clambering for guidance. I'm going to make a statement now and then I'm going to clarify it. And I really need you to grab this statement. The statement is simply this. Guidance is less about something that God gives and it's more something God does. Uh, Let me repeat that for you so that everybody got that. Guidance is, is not something God gives, it's rather something God does. The the reference to God being our shepherd doesn't go away. What did David say? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. What did Jesus say? I'm the good shepherd. Jesus is not trying to demean us when he references us as sheep. He's trying to give a a physical analogy that pertains to a spiritual truth. What do sheep do? Sheep are reliant. Sheep stay close to the shepherd. When are sheep in danger? That's right. That's right. You're already answering that question. The sheep are in danger when they wander off away from the shepherd. That's when they're in danger. They are protected when they're near the shepherd. They are fed when they are near the shepherd. They are guided when they are close to the shepherd. You see, uh, how many shepherds do you know that stand upon the top of a hill and just speak to the sheep? (laughs) Or you, go over here. Or you, go over there. None. It doesn't happen. I'll tell you why. The sheep don't understand English. I've been on farms. Uh, I'm not talking about sheep being dumb or anything like that. They just don't understand English. They don't understand words. (laughs) You can stand on a hill and tell a sheep to do whatever you want it to do, but it's not going to do it because it doesn't. There's a community. And often there can be a communication and understanding sometimes breakdown between man and God. Guidance, God is not doing that either. So many people, friends, walk into my office and say, well, I've got these couple of options. And I go, okay, well, what are you doing? And they go, well, I'm just going to sit here and wait for God to tell me what to do. 
And there are people that are facing these sort of circumstances in their lives right now. There are people right now that are completely confused and uncertain and they're looking for guidance. And I'm telling you now, if you are sitting down waiting for God to speak in an audible voice or something, it's not going to happen. God guides. What does Proverbs tell us? Proverbs says that when I step out to the right or to the left, then I hear a voice that says, this is the way walking. Guidance is something God does. How does a shepherd guide his sheep? He walks with them. This is the way, guiding them. And when they get off course and when they get off track, which you're bound to do at times, he needs the staff. You can't reject the staff of the shepherd, friends. It comes to bring us into line. It comes to bring us back onto the path. Sometimes God's got to get out his staff. But friends, if you're sitting in a scenario, you're going to make mistakes. We learn from making mistakes. Proverbs teaches us. But get up and do something. Guidance comes with momentum. Well, I don't know if this person's the right person for me. We'll start dating them and let's see what happens. I don't know whether I should take that promotion or not. What does wisdom tell you? I've got three job offers, okay? Evaluate, get some momentum. Start talking to people. Talk to your friends. Get some momentum and God begins to guide. And trust your ways to the Lord and he will make your path straight. That's exactly what happened with Jacob. Jacob's off in the land of Canaan. A famine hits the land. He thinks he's going to starve and die. The whole time the shepherd's been preparing a way out. Of your son's in Egypt, Jacob, and he's got some food for you. And you can bring all of your herds and you can come into the best of the land. It's time for the church of God to be people who walk with God and it's time for us to stop listening to voices and start allowing God to guide us. Praise God. Heading on now, let's, uh, let's come over to uh, Genesis chapter 50. I want to begin to bring this into uh, the end. Have a look at the perspective here. This is, this is enormously profound. Um, Jacob dies. Jacob dies and um, Joseph's brothers now are, are kind of panicking. And there's a really, really deeply profound set of scripture here that we can't go past. Starting in chapter 50, verse 15, if you're with me, when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgression of the service of the God of your father. Joseph wept. When they spoke to him, his brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? There's some perspective for you. Am I in the place of God? Am I the one to judge? Am I the one to hand out the retribution? No. I love the tale of the, of the guy on the back of the bus. I don't know if you've ever heard this tale, but uh, three uh, white American young guys are on a bus and... 
this, this black African-American gets on the bus and he walks down the bus and he sits at the back seat of the bus. And, and for the whole bus trip, these youths are taunting him and, and they're calling him names and, and, and they're rubbishing him. <laughs> and then finally they pull up at the man's stop and he gets up off the back seat and he doesn't say a word to these three boys. He doesn't do a thing at all. He just, as he's walking past, he hands one of them a business card and he keeps walking and gets off the bus. And, and those three years when the bus takes off, uh, they realise uh, what's just happened. Uh, when they look at the business card and it says, Joe Fraser, smoking Joe Fraser. Joe Fraser was the man at the back of the bus. And, and the beautiful account of that is that, you know, the whole time these guys are, are taunting him, he had every right and he had all of the power to deal with those. He could have wiped the floor with those three guys. He could have put those three guys in hospital right there and then. And by giving them the card, he kind of let them know, <laughs> I could have wiped the floor with you today. And that's kind of the position that Joseph finds himself in right now. And you know, we need a little bit of perspective when it comes to people as well. Sometimes that comment, sometimes that action, sometimes that hurtful thing that has been said or has done to us, Sometimes it goes far deeper than the actual person. Sometimes the enemy is attacking us. Sometimes we need that kind of perspective. And and that's the perspective Joseph has. Joseph has resigned to the fact, you know what? God brought me here. God's the one in charge. I am not in the place of God. It is not for me to judge. It's not for me to take revenge. There is a meekness here. And that kind of represents Jesus, you know, with all of our sin and, and, all of our, uh, and all of our misgivings. Jesus has all of the right and all of the power to wipe us off the face of the planet. But yet he goes and hangs upon a cross for us. And sometimes that portrays to our lives. We have all of the right and all of the power. And God asks us not to step. We try to step into God's place. Am I in the place of God? I want everybody here to know some really important facts. God doesn't do what you tell him to do. God will never be put into the debt of man. Doesn't matter how much faith you have. Doesn't matter how righteous you think you are. Doesn't matter how holy you think you are. God is never indebted to you to do anything. Everything God does and acts towards us is according to his amazing depths of grace. None of us are in the place of God. That's a really important piece of perspective to get. We're not in the place of God. We don't have control over our circumstances. We don't have control over our current circumstances. You're not in the place of God. So trust Him. Let Him do His work. Joseph goes on and says, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. There's a verse you can take to the bank, friends. There's a verse you can live by. You meant evil against me, and I want to pause for a moment. And let's have a look at everything that's happened to Joseph. Let's have a look at what his brothers did. God may have positioned Joseph in Egypt. God God may have orchestrated events in Joseph's life, but his brothers are wholly and solely accountable. There is no doubt that this is evil. Did God cause his brothers? Ah, 
we're going to stumble upon that question, you see. Did God cause Joseph's brothers to do everything to him so that God could move him into Egypt? That's not the account of what happens here. What Joseph is saying is, you did all this that was evil towards me. And even though you meant evil, God took all of that and produced good. What a God we serve. What a mighty God we serve. Let's, let's answer this question of what's going on here. Let's ask the question this morning, did God cause coronavirus so that he could upset the church and do a work in our hearts and all of that? Well, this question is beginning to come to the surface across the globe right now. Uh, what is the cause of COVID-19? <laughs> Was it manufactured in a Chinese lab? Did it come about in the wet markets of China? If you go to China, then it's, then it's the responsibility of every other country. Uh, all of this sort of stuff. You know what? We haven't really got the answers yet. But I think we're asking the wrong question. I think right now, where it started may be somewhat irrelevant. We need to deal with it and we need, to, we need to put practices in place if that's what we need to do to stop it in the future. But right now, we need to deal with the fallout of what's happened. But, but, but let's, let's unpack this for a moment. Uh, 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 you, can look, you can read this scripture for yourself later on. But I think the part of scripture that really highlights this is, and we really need a perspective, because right now, whilst everybody's asking the cause question, I think we've got the wrong perspective, and I think we are asking the wrong question. And I want to tell you that I I believe that because of what I read in John chapter 9. Now, you can read this later on, but let me paraphrase what happens here. In John chapter 9, Jesus and his disciples are walking through Jerusalem and they see a blind man. Jesus sees a blind man. And his disciples ask a question, which is a very good question. Uh, Master, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? You see, that's an... That's an awesome question because it's the question that's really, it's the elephant in the room, if you like, because uh, in those days, uh, the theology of the Pharisees was simply this, that all affliction was the result of sin, that if, if you were sick, it was the result of sin. If you, were, if you were poor and impoverished, it was all judgment upon you for some kind of sin or misgiving in your life. <laughs> they're, they're always trying to answer the cause question. And that's the answer that the disciples want. We want you to answer for us, Jesus, who causes this in our lives? Who caused this for this man? It must have been his parents, surely. He, he was born blind. And of course, uh, that's a further discussion amongst the rabbis. Because the rabbis are now saying, well, half of them said it's actually possible for you to sin while you're a fetus. What? Stop the bus. You guys listening to yourselves? And it's because they're trying to answer the cause question. We're trying, to, we're trying to find out what causes all of these things in our lives. Well, if it wasn't the fact that you can sin as a fetus, then, then it must have been his parents' fault. I've got some really good news for people here today. Listen, there are strongholds sometimes in our lives, yes. Sometimes God reveals it, but, but so often we're always going back to the fifth, seventh, eighth, tenth generation. <laughs> They'll deal with their sins, God will deal with yours. 
sometimes in a, in a, in a roundabout way trying to answer the cause question, we go back generations upon generations upon generations. Stop going back. And maybe we're asking the wrong question. Because Jesus answers the question and he answers it beautifully. Uh, They say, who sinned, uh, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus says, neither this man nor his parents. (laughs) What? Cause, straight out the window. Jesus says, you know what? I don't want a discussion about cause. I want to talk about what we really need to be asking. Purpose. There's another word. Underline that word. Circle that word. Highlight it. If you're writing down words, you want to write down two, perspective and purpose. Oh, they're great words. And what Jesus says is, neither this man nor his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him, that the works of God might be displayed in him, that the work of God might be displayed. Who sinned, Joseph or his dad? No, 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 no. That the wrong question. The question we need to be asking is, God, in all that's happening to us, what is your purpose? What is your purpose for the church in this hour? What is your purpose in my life at this time? What are you working in me? What is your purpose? Forget cause. You see, Joseph, by the time he's in this position here, he's, he's not blaming his dad. He's not blaming his brothers. He's not blaming God. He's not... He's not looking for cause. He's looking for purpose. And he can see the purpose of God in everything that's happened to him. And right now, God has an enormous purpose that he is working inside of his church and outside of his church. Praise his wonderful name. Friends, we need to get some perspective and stop asking the cause question and start looking at all of these moments and Times of hardship in our life. Start looking at the truth of the matter is that this is all about purpose. Oh, praise God. I want to finish this morning with, I believe, the word that brings this up. We've looked at Joseph's life. We've looked at how God uses all of even the adverse circumstances in our lives and he now brings it about for good. God is positioning us. God is, God is working in us and that's what he's been doing with Joseph. That's what he's doing. I want to encourage everybody right now. Right now, I'm not concerned of who caused COVID-19 or how it got here. I'm not even sure about when it'll all end and all that sort of stuff. I'm sure of this. God is doing a really brilliant, beautiful, profound work in his church. And I know God's been doing some cutting away at my life. I I put my hand up and say, God, you know what? I needed you to give me a different perspective on a lot of stuff as well. But I don't want to end there because Joseph didn't end there. Verse 22, so Joseph remained in Egypt. There you go. He He never leaves Egypt. Joseph remained in Egypt, he and his father's house. Joseph lived 110 years. Joseph saw Ephraim's children of the third generation, great blessing. The children also of Makar, the son of Manasseh, were counted as Joseph's own. And Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will visit you. God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land that he swore to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob. 
Then Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones from here. What is Joseph saying? Joseph saying, this is not my home. Here's, here's what Joseph is saying to his brothers and here's what Joseph is saying to the people of Israel. This is not the end of the story for you. This is not the end of the matter. God will visit you. God will keep his word. God is faithful. Of that, Joseph was 100% sure. God will visit you. What does it mean when God visits? Isn't his presence already here? Yes, but if we have a look at history and if we have a look at even our own lives, there are moments when God visits and basically a visitation, the word visitation means to to kind of God initiating a period of blessing. Sometimes God visits for judgment, but when it's in the positive, it's God initiating blessing and the fulfilling of his promises. And Joseph says, God's going to visit you guys. And so he says, this is not the end of the story. This is not where Israel ends. This is not where the people of God belong. And he says, and when you guys leave, take my bones with you. He's so sure that God's going to visit. In fact, Hebrews 11 says that by faith, Joseph gave commands concerning his bones. Why? Because he was certain there's the perspective we need. We need a faith perspective. Now the, now perspective is dealing with the future. Now we can be certain that God will visit us. And I look forward to the moment when he does. God visit us. That's a word for the church. God will visit you. And he will fulfill his word. And he will complete his work. I want to encourage you today. This is not the end of the story. It's just the beginning. This is not the end of the story. It's just the beginning. God will visit each and every one of us. You know, Jesus had divine Polaroids. He saw beyond the cross to our salvation. He endured the cross. What does Hebrews say? Hebrews says that for the joy set before him, Hebrews 12, tells us that for the joy set before him, Jesus looked beyond the cross beyond the immediate, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Divine Polaroids. He endured the immediate because he had a godly perspective. The hardship Jesus faced was also to preserve life and save. And what we are experiencing now is not the end of the matter. And what God is working in us, God desires to work through us. I look forward with eager expectation for what God is doing in the lives of individuals, what God is doing as he reshapes and refashions his church. That's you. Friends, God will visit you. God will visit you. Let's pray. Father, this morning I thank you that you are faithful to your word. I pray that every one of us would have divine Polaroids. I pray that we would have a godly perspective. Lord God, that we would take our eyes off the cause, that we would take our eyes off trying to find blame, Lord God, and look to your purposes. Show us your purposes, Lord God. Open our eyes, Lord God. I pray in this time. Help us to see your hand at work in everything as it is. Thank you that you are working when we can't see it, when we can't feel it, Lord God, you are working in our lives. Thank you, Lord God, for all the work you're doing. I pray, Lord God, right now, that you will give us eyes to see. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.
God bless you. God keep you. And I look forward to next week when we start the first in our Overcomers series for May. Richest blessings. See you next week. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.